You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball, and my co-host, John McEwen. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing Morrison's, SafeStore, DS Smith, On the Market, Barclay Group, and Nike. John, should we start with Morrison's? Yes, yeah, so Morrison's, which we've covered recently and is Britain's fourth biggest supermarket, has been in the news this week because the private equity group, CDR, an American-based group, have come in and made a cash offer from Morrison's of 230 pence per share, which was about a 30% premium on what it was trading at the day before. And obviously shareholders would also get their 5p or 5.1p dividend for the year as well. It was rejected by Morrison's, but there's now, it's I suppose, fueled speculation that there are going to be some more offers coming in for the supermarket. And we had talked about that, you know, a bit before because it didn't look expensive. And we'd wondered whether it might be a target for Amazon, which it already has a deal for. But Sam, what do you think of this in terms of how it values Morrison's private equity and whether anybody else is going to come out of the woodwork in the next week or so? I agree that it's it was cheap prior to the offer. I, I mean, we've looked at Morrison's a couple of times and I think we both liked it as a business. I think it'd be a shame to see that go into the hands of private equity because they'd probably just load it up with debt and then take it public again in a few years time. <laughs> if it's going to get acquired, I'd rather see it acquired by Amazon just because I don't, I don't think it'd ruin the business really. And I mean, that was one of the interesting things with Morrison that it hadn't been particularly digital before, but then we saw over the pandemic that its online sales had been up over 100%. They'd more than doubled. Yeah, and then like you say, there is a deal with Amazon. So if in the UK you want to buy groceries on Amazon, you are, you are, you're buying it through Morrison's. So if you look at what Amazon have done with Whole Foods in the US, it would probably, if they are wanting to go big into groceries, it would be a natural fit for them to buy Morrison's, which if I was a Morrison shareholder, that's probably the outcome I'd be hoping for. I suppose you wouldn't be maybe too bothered as long as you get the most amount of cash. But in terms of the actual, I just think it'd be better for the business as well as for the shareholders that are getting bought out. No, that's right. And one of the things I think we picked up on on previous episodes with Morrison's is the wholesale business, which that's been expanding and it does offer sort of an alternative source of revenue, certainly compared with some of the other supermarkets. They don't all still have that sort of wholesale side of the business. Yeah, and I, I was reading an article that said that a lot of Morrison's, a lot of the sites, they own the freehold on it. So you'd probably see the mm-hmm. private equity. It'd be quite easy for the private equity to pay off at least a chunk of the money they've borrowed to buy it just by doing sale and leasebacks. Yeah, like we t- we said before, you know, the, it was sort of on paper, it was quite cheap and it was below mm-hmm. its 10-year average price to earnings of about 14. It's got a decent dividend. And also, I mean, just looking at the share price as well, it's it has been cheap. But I mean, it's if we look back even two years ago, it was trading at about two, over £2.60 a share. And this cash offer was £2.30. Yeah, which is still a premium to where it was. But I think the thing is as well, like, I'd be surprised if they've gone in with the highest offer. Mm. I think... I'd expect them to come back at least once. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I suppose the the opening bid, it's almost the opening bid, really, yeah. isn't it? 
Uh, and I'm not, not sure under the CMA rules what how, how, how long they have before they have to come back or walk away. Oh, they've got until 17, 17 July. Okay, so they've got a little while yet, but it's not not huge amount. So I suppose we'll perhaps in the next couple of weeks, yeah, we'll see what happens. They don't have to make another offer by 17 July. They just have to announce that they've got a firm intention to make another offer. Okay, right. So it could potentially drag on a bit longer then. It could do, yeah. Uh, what would you do if you were a Morrison shareholder? If I bought in the last, if I bought two weeks ago, there's obviously the temptation just to take the cash. But I think really, if you're investing in Morrison's, you look at the long term. I don't think you'd accept just the 30% premium. I think it probably does undervalue it. Not to say there aren't headwinds in supermarket and retail, but I think you'd probably expect a bit more. If I was a shareholder, I'd probably want to hold out for a larger offer at least. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see. And obviously, Asda was the other one that was part of Walmart that's the private equity, it was a UK private equity group. I think it was the, uh, what were the I brothers called? Was, I, yeah, that's it. They bought it. And I'm not sure how Asda's been doing, I suppose. But, uh, uh, we don't find out, do we? We don't it's find out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, sad for us. Okay. You could probably have a guess based on what Morrison's Tesco and uh, well, Sainsbury's have been doing. That's right. That's right. Fine. Okay. So next company on the list, what do we have? We have SafeStore. Do you want so, to kick us off with SafeStore then, Sam? Yeah, so we have looked at it before on the show, but for anyone who's not familiar with SafeStore, they are the UK's largest self-storage company. So it's, it's where you see those massive warehouses where you can store your stuff for business or personal use. So they're, they're just the largest provider of that. They've come out with their half-year results for 30 April 2021, and they've announced revenue was up. 11.1% to 88.1 million. And interestingly, about 20% of that revenue comes from the Paris side of the business. Mm. They've announced the closing occupancy percentage was 80.7%, and that is up from 71.1% a year ago. The average storage rate is flat, or it's down very slightly. It's down by 1p to... £26 and 51p. Free cash flow is up 24.4% to 40.3 million. Operating profit was up 63.7% to 173.2 million. Profit before tax is up 67.8% to 167.3 million. And diluted earnings per share is up 75.5% to 74.4p. They announced that they've opened their a new 58,500 square foot freehold store at Birmingham Middleway and a 50,000 square foot leasehold store in Paris Magenta. They also announced three new development sites and two store extensions in London, as well as five new development sites in Spain, in Madrid and Barcelona, and a new project in Paris, which will together add 425,000 square feet. They now have a group loan-to-value ratio of 27%, and that's down from 30% a year ago, and their interest cover ratio is 10x, which is up from 8.6x a year ago. For the past five years, revenue has increased by 7.3%, 15.7%, 10.5%, 5.6%, 8.5%, and 11.1%. So that's actually six years and not five. 
and earnings per share is increased by 28.6%, 15.6%, 21.2%, 7.1%, 7.4%, and 24.8%. They announced that in the UK, they've well, they've got a graph in the slides for the percentage of invoices where the money's collected within 30 days. And in the UK, from 2019 onwards, for every single month, it's always been above 96%. And that compares with Paris, where it's consistently been about mid to high 80s so we pay our bills better than the french and they announced that group marketing costs are a 3.9 percent of revenue for the half which is the lowest percentage in eight years and they also put a graph in the side showing their total shareholder return and it compared it's since 2007 and it compares safe store to big yellow group which we've also previously looked at on the show and i don't know what it stands for but lok apostrophe n store groups so lock in or something lock in maybe it's beat all of them actually so it's since 2007 it's given returns of about 700 percent, and that compares to about 350 percent for big yellow group and 400 percent for lock in and it's also beat the FTSE 250 in that time period they've not shown the FTSE 100 but it's definitely beat that because <laughs> that's definitely not up 700 percent since 2007 so in terms of valuation, I thought that free cash flow was probably the best way to value it. And it's mm-hmm. currently trading at 26 times free cash flow. It's also at a market cap of 2.01 billion uh, with a dividend yield of 1.95%. I think it looks like a quality business. I probably am more impressed with it than I was the last time I looked at it. I think because I've We've now looked a bit deeper. I think it looks like a more mm. impressive business, especially now you can see that the, the track record is quite impressive as well. It is. And why do you think, do you think it's the industry as a whole of self-storage or do you think SafeStore are doing things slightly differently to say Big Yellow? I think it helps that they're the market leader. And my view is always, I mean, I had the same view of like Hargreaves Lansdowne compared to AJ Bell, where I feel like if you're not going to go with the market leader, you need a very good reason for that. And it's a bit similar to Harvey's Lansdowne, where when the market leader's putting up such impressive performance, I don't see why you'd look at one of the others. I can't remember the figure specifically, but when we looked at Big Yellow Group, I thought it looked like a less attractive valuation than SafeStore did. Mm. I, I remember that as being quite pricey. Yeah, Whereas well, the- I, yeah, same. I remember it as being pricey. So I suppose, yeah, less attractive and that more expensive. Yeah, and I, I think 26 times free cash flow, it's, it's certainly not cheap, but it it does look like it's a quality business. Yeah. Unfortunately, and you've got to pay up for them. 63% of their revenue comes through their stores in London and the South East. Does that worry you at all that it's more of, well, I suppose that region in particular, it's quite dependent on? I mean, not, not particularly because it's not like it's, I don't think it's like tied to like business performance or anything, because obviously okay. like they've got the revenue from businesses that need the storage, but it's the same from like if more people are working from home and say they're setting up businesses or whatever because they can work from yeah. home that's the sort of thing you'd use it for instead of like getting a warehouse you just have a little 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 lot there so no it doesn't just because of the business model it's it's not, i wouldn't view it in the same way as like for example when we look at like REITs or property developers where it's like well look mm-hmm. all the money's coming from london that's quite concerning because it rises and falls with the london sure. property market but sure. i don't i don't feel like that's the case with this what about you no no I, I i 
probably wouldn't be too concerned. And I'm they are it does look like they've got a decent number in other places. Well, I think the rest of the UK, they've got 58 stores. I mean, it is 71 in London in the southeast. So there's a total of 128 in the UK. And you mentioned Paris, which is alone got 29, and Spain has got four. They've got decent occupancy across all of them with an average of 80.7%. And most, I guess most of the revenue is coming from, is coming from the London, the South East stores. But I was wondering, have they said anything about, or are you familiar with what their strategy is in terms of expansion? Well, they are expanding. I mean, in the last 12 months, they, they opened stores in Sheffield, Birmingham and Paris. They, okay. they do show the, the pipeline as well. Mm. Touch on a little bit. I mean, Actually, about half of the pipeline is actually new new London stores. Yeah. But if, if it's working for them, then why not, I guess? But yeah. then they've yeah. also got in the pipeline the new st- a new store in Paris, two new stores in Madrid, and three new stores in Barcelona. So yeah. you'd, you'd hope that as London gets more saturated, the international and also like other parts of the UK expansion can make up for that. But I know it's the, the, the market leader, but... 128 stores in the UK isn't that many. And I appreciate there's, there's other brands as well. But yeah, Paris as well, 29 stores, Barcelona, four stores. It's not, they do have a lot of room for growth, especially if they can crack it in Spain and France and then potentially other European countries as well. Do you have any concerns or do you see any headwinds for the business? I guess the main concern would be the debt, but it's not... It's certainly not at an unmanageable level at the minute, so it's not it's not concerning right now. But if if that expansion was to be fueled by too much debt, I guess mm. that would be it. And it really, I, I guess, changing trends as well. Yeah. So at the minute, I think I think they have had quite a lot of tailwinds in the last couple of years, and I'd expect it to continue. But if it doesn't for some reason, then it could start to look quite expensive. Yeah. If yeah. that future growth, you, you can't see where it's coming from. But at the minute, I think you can point to it and say, well. There's, there could be future growth from here, yeah. here, and here. So yeah, and is it one for the watch list then? I think one you might I, buy. I, I don't think it's better than anything I already own. Is the thing, Fine. but I do like it, and I certainly I think it is good enough for the watch list. I do. I I quite like it now, whereas I think I wasn't really sure on it last time yeah. I looked at it. What about you? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, definitely. I think it's one that I consider. I might. I'll probably. Well, I'll probably put it on along with Big Yellow and maybe have a little, a little bit more of a delve into both of them but yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's I think the sector has grown on me for sure you do start noticing them everywhere as well after you've looked at them. Yeah, yes I've seen I've seen so many big yellows since we covered it last time on the podcast everywhere honestly it's uh yeah but uh and yeah the big yellows do in particular stand out with that branding but um yeah okay what have we got next Sam DS Smith D.S. Smith. Okay, so D.S. Smith, we've, another one that we've covered a couple of times on the show before, which is, I suppose the easiest way to say it, the box maker, really. They released their full year results this week, and they announced that full year revenue fell by 1% to £6 billion, ignoring the effect of exchange rates. Underlying profits were down 24% to £502 million, with rising costs associated with COVID-19, volume declines in the first quarter and reduced box pricing. Box volumes rose 3.5% with a 1% decline in the first half and growth of 8.5% in the second half. 
Northern Europe revenue was up 1% to 2.4 billion with strong box volume growth. However, this was offset by higher input costs and price declines. And this division, the Northern European, was particularly impacted by the reduction in in-store retail activity during the lockdowns and underlying profits fell 37% to 138 million. In Southern Europe, revenue declined 4% to 2.2 billion with declining the average selling price offsetting volume growth. Underlying profits in Southern Europe were down 30% to 223 million with COVID impacting on tourism and agriculture. In Eastern Europe, revenue was up 2% to 909 million with strong volume growth. However, declines in paper and packaging operations meant that underlying profit was actually down 10% to 78 million pounds. And North America saw revenue fall 5% to 541 million pounds due to the increased internal use of paper. However, volumes were recovering well and underlying profits were up 70% due to favourable pricing and the new Indiana packaging plant. Free cash flow improved from 354 million last year to 486 million with reduced capital expenditure during the pandemic. And net debt was down from 1.9 million at the end of 2020, April 2020, to 1.6 million at the end of April 2021. And that equates to about 2.2 times profits with the company targeting that, bringing that down to two times profits. And the group have said that volumes are continuing to recover in the new financial year. There's still some cost inflation, but these expenses should be offset by increased packaging prices. They're quite confident about that. And they announced a final dividend of 8.1p, taking the total for the year to 12.1p. And on these results, the shares were down 2.8%. Sam, what are your likes and dislikes about DS Smith? And what do you think of these full-year results? I thought the results were a bit disappointing, to be honest, just because I'd probably have expected them to be a lockdown winner. So it said here, I'll just find it, but consumer groups and food groups make up 80% of the business. And both of those have obviously... I'd have thought been been booming really with like e-commerce. Well, and they're also like a key supplier of e-commerce groups. So I'd have, I'd have thought a lot of their key customers have, would have been shipping more and selling more. And it's I guess a full year revenue fall of one percent for me was a bit disappointing. And the underlying profit drop of twenty four percent is concerning. It says that they well basically because they have to they have to buy the paper. They're dependent on the price of the paper. So their yeah. fortune is going to rise and fall with that. And, and that's you... something that they have, or they're trying to address. They've said that they make 80% of paper in-house. They're trying to cut that to 60% in the near term and potentially further in the future. So I suppose when paper prices fall, that would then be particularly beneficial to them going for, well in the future in the near future i don't feel like it's yeah, in an yeah, environment yeah. where that's likely i think if you like look at the inflation concerns that people have at the minute it's concerning i, I guess the only the main benefit is that they're confident they can pass it on to their customers and i, I, I think that's yeah. probably true it's just yeah. not ideal is it they'll probably be fine but it's not it's not what you want 
I don't know. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I probably share some of those concerns. I mean, I suppose on the bull side of it, you would argue for the growth, you know, growth trend in online retail and move away from sort of unenvironmentally friendly plastic packaging to something that's more environmentally friendly like recyclable boxes. But yeah, the, the concerns about the fact that you'd expect this company to be a lockdown winner and actually the revenues have fallen, fallen a bit, but also the underlying profits is concerning when you'd expect it to be doing very well at this time. I think I could like I could possibly forgive the profit decrease if revenues had increased. You know, like yeah. the supermarkets where they said, well, because of COVID, we've increased costs, and, yeah. but revenues up like eight nine percent. But yeah. unfortunately, you know, we, we've we've costs have increased, and also we've we've given back all the. Um, all the rates relief and stuff. And that's like, well, well, fair enough. They've they've done as well as you can expect in the circumstance. But I think a 1% drop in revenue, I would have expected, or I would have hoped for an increase in revenue, really. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you there. And in terms of the valuation, it's got a market cap of about 5.8 billion. And its price to earnings is 14, 10-year average of 12. So it's a little, it is a little bit more expensive. The shares have rallied a lot since we discussed it, which I think was back in November. It's up over 40% since then. But you don't, I don't know, it's probably not reflected or as reflected in the, you know, with these with these results, really. Do you think if they were able to pass on any cost increases straight to their customers, do you think it would be quite a good stock to hold in an inflationary environment? I suppose in short, yes, but I don't know enough about the boxing industry and also how it how easy it will be and whether volumes are going to fall as a result if they try this. I mean, they 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 sound confident about it, but I don't know whether I'd be as confident. I don't know the industry well enough to know whether that is mm. something that's easily done. Mm. Maybe not as easy as you know British American Tobacco as we talked about last week to pass on those you know any increases well no one's addicted to cardboard no one's addicted to, they're addicted to online shopping that's true yeah so maybe maybe it will be the same then maybe it will be so yeah we'll, 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 we'll actually we'll have to wait and see but then again even given that it's you have had a very turbulent year and the shares aren't that pricey either and historically, it's got a good record. I guess if you're buying it at a P of 14, you're not, you're probably unlikely to see a, re, a multiple revaluation that we've seen in the last six months. The business has to perform really to just buy yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think pre its all time high was back in 2018. It was about £5.20. We're currently trading about three, around £4.20 at the moment. And we went down to the lows of, two pound about just over two pounds two pounds fifty two pounds sixty that was actually yeah i think that was back pre pre pre-vaccine trials but yeah is it one for the watch list is it one that you'd be avoiding what do you think i wouldn't say it's one i'm avoiding but i wouldn't say it's at this stage it's not impressed me enough for the watch list yeah i would tend to i would tend to agree with you there it's yeah probably probably not but i mean it's not too far away but not one that I'll be buying at the moment. Well, when the PE was like nine or 10, when we looked at it like six months ago, I think that was a lot closer to being a watch list stock then. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And now it's 
come up quite a lot. I mean, could could have done quite quite well on it over that time period. But yeah, I think there are some question marks, and we'll see whether it can pass on those those price increases. Yeah, uh, down the line. But right, next stock. Next, we have on the market. Have you heard of on the market? Um, no, I haven't. Do you want to give us a bit of background? So it's basically. So this was actually. It's going about like six months now or something. But when we last covered Right Move, one of our followers, Gav R S eighty three. So it's at G A V R S eighty three. What did Gav say? Gav and Gav Gavin Gav actually has tweeted us a few times, and he does seem to know stuff. But he tweeted us after we did Right Move, and he said, "What do you think of on the market?" And I basically said, "Well, I have no idea." <laughs> and yeah, he said, yeah. "It's a right move competitor, but like, what's their main? Like, their USP is meant to be that they're like agent owned, or they've got part ownership by the agents. So, whereas right moves like it's screwing hated. the agents. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, meant, this is meant to be a bit more agent friendly. So, okay, I, I added it to the watch list, and they came out with uh, full year results earlier than earlier this month. So." So it's AIM listed, but it is a tiddler. So it's got a market cap of 68 million. And that compares to, I don't know off the top of my head, but five or six billion for right move, I think. Yeah. So uh, if you think it can knock right move off its perch, it's probably got quite a bit of room to run. Um, oh, so yeah, absolutely. Think about their full year results. In fact, it's worth mentioning, I had a look at the website as well and compared it to right move. So I, I, hadn't, heard, I hadn't heard of on the market prior to Gav mentioning it. So I had a look and... It actually, I I expected that like where there's a hundred results from right, then maybe like ten or twenty for on the market. I mm. sort of expected that. It's more like for every hundred results you get on right move, you maybe get sixty or seventy or on on the market. So you mm. you do get a decent amount of results still. It's pretty similar otherwise. The only thing is they've just launched a new feature which like gives you an instant valuation on the home on your home. I don't okay. know how accurate that would be, but right move haven't done anything like that so i guess if it takes off right move can always just copy it but yeah at the moment that's the differentiator the valuation tool i guess so for the full year ended 31 january 2021 revenue increased 22 percent 23 million pounds and for context that compares to a 29 percent decrease for right move to 205 million adjusted operating profit moved from a 9.2 million pound loss to a 2.4 million pound profit operating profit moved from an 11.7 million pound loss to a 1.2 million pound profit year-end cash position increased 23 percent to 10.7 million and the average revenue per advertiser increased 16 percent to 142 pounds and for reference right moves was down 28 percent to 778 pounds the number of average advertisers listed increased by 4% to 13,285. And the web traffic web traffic increased 13% to 267 million. However, right moves increased by 31% to 2.1 billion. Average monthly leads per advertiser increased 22% to 117, and cash generated from operating activities moved from negative 7 million to positive 5.1 million. There's a few points in the slides. Yeah, so since 2015, number of advertisers has increased from 5,056 to 12,687. Annual website visits has increased from 49 million to 267 million. They announced that they think 
that for across all adults, they've got brand awareness of 45%. I'm not sure if it, I'd be surprised if it is that high. And I'd say if it is that high, that's probably really a bit of a negative just because I guess it makes it harder to, because obviously that means people are aware of them and still 10 times as many people are choosing to use right move. And then for property seekers, they actually think it's higher at 54%. So again, that, that suggests to me that people are aware of them, but choosing not to use them. Mm. They pointed out that they were well-established as one of the three major UK property portals. So it must be Rightmove and Zoopla that are the other two. And then in terms of the financials for the past five years, although revenue had increased 22% in the last year, in the last five years, revenues only increased from 17.83 million to 23.03 million. There was a big drop from 2017 to 2018 and it's slowly climbed since. So it's not like it's been growing at 22% every year. And in terms of the valuation, it currently trades at a PE ratio of 23.94, and it doesn't pay a dividend. My view is, as a right move shareholder, it doesn't particularly concern me. I know the agents might like it, and well, I expect them to prefer it, but if they're going to really have a go at right move, they need the customers to be using it. And when you compare their figures to right moves, I know they were better, but right move revenue decreased by choice. So it's yeah. not a fair comparison. So I think the pure, for me, the most important metric is the website traffic. And they actually lost market share to right move last year, despite right move being almost 10 times bigger. So yeah, so that right move 2.1 billion compared to 267 million for on the market. And that was a 13% increase for on the market and 31% for right move. To me, that suggests that they're not until unless they can get people moving over. It doesn't matter that the advertisers prefer them. So yeah, so as a right move shareholder, I'm not concerned looking at this. Uh, what what, what, What are the profit margins on on the market? They had an operating profit of 1.2 million on 23 million pounds of revenue. They are still growing. And last year, it was actually a significant operating loss. So I don't know if they maybe argue, well, you'd actually say, yeah, you'd expect those operating profits to be a lot higher once you reach scale, especially when you look at right moves, which are like 70% margins. So I don't think the current margins are a fair reflection of what they could be if they achieve scale. Um, The problem is it's very, very difficult to achieve scale when you're trying to take market share off right move. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm also a right move shareholder and I'm not worried and I'd probably still be holding on. I think it was definitely one for the watch list to see how it do- how the story with them does develop, though. Yeah, and it is a very small market cap. So if you do think they can take significant market share from right move, you could do very, very well on it. The only thing is I'm, I'm just not convinced, really. I, I think what would worry yeah. me more is... There's a few businesses in the US, Zillow and Redfin are examples, but they, they're in, where Rightmove is basically just a platform to look at the properties and they're working with the agents. These ones in America, they're basically trying to replace the agents. And yeah. so it's a completely different business model. And if they were trying to do something like that, I'd maybe be a bit more concerned with it because if they were able to say, well, if you come and use us, you'll pay, you'll pay an agent fee of 1.5% instead of the standard 3%. At that point, you'd be looking at it and thinking, well, they're actually offering a better service. And if the growth's higher as well, 
you, you could then be a bit worried about it. But when it's basically the same business model, but with slightly different ownership, I don't see why people are going to switch. Yeah, I mean, that, that model is more similar to maybe what Purple Bricks try to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think in terms of the agent ownership, I, I don't care about that. And the agents might not like it, but mm. I just but I don't, want to go where, think, where the yeah. most properties are, and that's right move. That's right. And I don't think probably the British public have that much sympathy for estate agents because no. <laughs> for both buyers, sellers, renters, you know, they've historically been stung by quite large fees and a lot of estate agents haven't necessarily behaved all that well. So I think the fact that Rightmove is squeezing them doesn't cut much in terms of sympathy with many people. Yeah, I'm not shedding any tears for them. No, but you, you are enjoying using your right move app and it, it's yeah. very good. And I'll continue to use the one which has the most properties on it, really. Yeah. And I know there's not that many less, but yeah, it's not. They, they need to be doing something very different to right. They need a, I guess it's quite good that they're offering the valuation service, but like I say, that right move can just copy that if it looks like it's working. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's nothing that even as a even as a user like having a browse, I, I wouldn't switch to on the market having had a look at it now. No, that's right. That's right. So should we move on to Barclay Group? Yes. So Barclay Group is house builder and developer, largely based in London, but it is FTSE 100 listed. And they had their full year results out this week. A headline figure was that revenue was up 14.7% to 2.2 billion. Operating profits rose 6.9% to 502.3 million, with increases in both number of houses sold and higher selling prices. They sold over 2,825 homes, which was up from 2,723 homes in the previous year. Average selling price was also up. 13.7% at £770,000. And that was largely uh, driven by the developments in London. Private sale reservations were actually down 20% due to the delay launch of some of the new developments during the pandemic. Forward sales, including sales due to be completed in the next three years, fell £146 million to £1.7 billion. Operating margins were down 1.7% to 22.8% with increased costs due to the pan or with increased costs due to the pandemic. The land bank has 63,270 plots with an estimated future gross profit of 6.9 billion pounds, which is up from 58,413 plots, which had been estimated to be worth 6.4 billion pounds of future gross profit. 71% of those plots have planning permission in place. Free cash flow for the group rose from 299.8 million to 322.6 million, finishing the year with a net cash position of 1.1 billion pounds. And the group have land creditor liabilities of 388.2 million compared with 372.7 million last year and 57.3 million is due in the short term. Barclay Group have done a share buyback which was being worth 189 million pounds and paid a further 
145.5 million pounds in dividends. And they've announced plans this year to return 450 million pounds to shareholders through a share redemption scheme. Currently has a market cap of 5.6 billion pounds. Price to earnings is 13.5 with a 10 year average of 10.3. But interestingly with Barclay Group, 75% of the revenues come from London and actually the share price seems to have lagged the other house builders. So if you compared it with Persimmon, for example, which is a York based uh, house builder whose shares are up 8% over the year so far, Barclay's actually down 2.3%. But I mean, I think this is probably reflective of the house price, the average house prices in London since COVID and more people working from home. But, you know, still, even despite that, house prices in London are about three times the average compared with places outside the Lon- London and even greater if you compared it with the north of England. They've also, to note, because they're sort of more London-based, they generally do more brownfield sites, brownfield developments than other house builders like Persman, which might use more greenfield sites. So they do have higher costs associated with that in sort of the regeneration rather than just building on fields. And there is some sort of, I suppose, in, in the news, you've had the mayor's office in London saying that they feel they need 66, or they estimate that they need 66,000 new homes need to be built every year for at least the next 20 years to meet demand in London and the southeast. And Barclay specifically commented on that trend over the last year or so for more people to work from home and work remotely. And they've said that the changes over the past 15 months does not represent a permanent structural shift that has the capacity to reverse urbanisation or detract from the attraction of a global city such as London. I suppose you could say, well, you'd expect them to say that, wouldn't you? But Sam, I mean, what, what are your takes? To, well, what's your take on these results and Barclay as a company? I thought they were very, very good results, considering that they'd have been shut down for parts of the year. And I thought that yeah, I thought the land bank were quite impressive as well. Yeah, I, I liked it. What about you? No, I think they definitely think that they're good results. And to be honest, I probably would tend to agree with that statement that they made that there is a huge, still huge demand in London, and there's maybe the market's under underpricing that a little bit on the basis that the sort of these trends that you've seen over the last fifteen months could be set to continue, but. I'm not convinced by that. I think, like they've said, London's a global city. And given the sort of, I suppose, the structural imbalance and the demand that they have there, they're really set to benefit from that. And they've got a lot of a lot in the land bank, as we saw from those numbers, to really, yeah, to, to really extract the profit from that. Yeah, I mean, I'd be very surprised if in 10 years' time, London house prices were lower than they are today. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Assuming there isn't any sort of, yeah, anything cataclysmic that happens, but it would, uh, for me, it would probably it probably would have to be cataclysmic, wouldn't it? it, would, it well, especially when yeah. you're out as far as like ten years. Uh, yeah, I suppose if it, if we're talking about ten years, yeah, that would be if if I were putting my money on it, that's what I would say. What do you think about it compared with? Because I mean, we've covered a few house builders uh, that have had results on over the last six months. 
is it, would you be more attracted to Barclay Group because of London or would it would you prefer a, a more sort of I suppose peripheral house builder like say person I'd probably rather have one that was quite more more geographically diversified across the UK than concentrated in one part of the UK but I wouldn't necessarily be put off by the fact that it's in London and I, I think with house builders I mean there are there are a number of well-run house builders I think listed on the FTSE I don't think there's any reason why you couldn't take a bit of a basket approach with it I've as well and just say well Barclays in London and I'll just get a couple of the others that are in like stronger in different areas and then as long yeah. as you think that people are there's going to be continue continue to be more more people who want to live in houses and there are houses yeah um, with, with something like a house builder I probably would want to go with a basket approach and in many ways it's 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 arguably a, a little bit more attractively priced and the fact that it hasn't risen or recovered as much as some of the other house builders you could say you're getting a bit of value there yeah I, I agree actually so when we looked at the other house builders I think they were they were quite a bit cheap the last time we did a house builder so when I was making the notes for this I was actually my first thought was P of 13, that looks quite expensive. And then I went and checked compared to some levers and I was like, well, I'm going yeah. to I'm gonna have to scribble that out. <laughs> yeah, they, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's just since we covered the others, we've had quite a rally, you know, that they've, they've recovered very well. Yeah. Not quite to the pre-pandemic levels or, you know, when we what we were seeing after the election in late 2019 and early 2020. I think that's probably when they peaked. But we're not a million miles off. No, but as an industry, I, I, I do like it. I, I think you have to accept that it's going to be quite cyclical, but I think there's a lot of long-term trends in its favour. And yeah, like, like I said, I, I wouldn't be against a basket approach to the house building industry. No, no, that's fair enough. And yeah, I wouldn't, um, I think it, it may go on my watch list. I, I do already have a house builder, which has, you know, itself recovered well, but I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to a, a little bit more and certainly Barclay looks like it's one of the cheaper ones at the moment yeah no, I like it quite a bit should we move on to our final company then yes what have we got last so we've got Nike this week I've got, does it need any introduction I'd assume most people have come across Nike but if they've not if you've not they make trainers and sportswear <laughs> you've never seen the Nike tick somewhere you must have been living under a rock. It is. It's. It's probably like not having heard of Coca Cola, isn't it? Yeah. And we did. I mean, we. I think we did cover it a little bit, um, especially when we were discussing JD. Yeah. Yeah. We did discuss it in, in relation to JD. So Nike have come out with their Q4 and full year results for the 2021 year, and they have announced that for the fourth quarter. Revenues were $12.3 billion, and all these figures will be in dollars, which was up 96% compared to the prior year and 21% compared to the fourth quarter of 2019. The full year reported revenues increased by 19% to $44.5 billion. Nike Direct Q4 sales increased by 73% to $4.5 billion. Gross margin for the quarter increased by 850 basis points to 45.8%. Diluted earnings per share for the quarter was 93 cents and for the full year it was $3.56. 
And John Donahue, president and CEO, said 2021 was a pivotal year for Nike as we brought our consumer direct acceleration strategy to life across the marketplace. Fueled by our momentum, we continue to invest in innovation and our digital leadership to set the foundation for Nike's long-term growth. It said inventories were 6.9 billion at the end of the quarter, which was down 7% compared to the prior year. And that was driven by strong consumer demand as they returned to healthy inventory levels across markets closed in the prior year due to COVID-19. In terms of the split by the different revenue sources, so of the 42.293 billion of total Nike brand revenues for the year, sales to wholesale customers represented 25.9 billion. Nike direct sales represented 16.3 billion. Yeah, so sales to wholesale customers, that was up 12%, but Nike direct sales were up 32% for the year. And that was even higher for the quarter at 73%. And what did you say that direct sales as a proportion of total revenue? It's about 39% now, but it's growing quick. In terms of the valuation, it's got a market cap of $243 billion. It trades at a P ratio of 43. What do you think of these results and the valuation, John? Um, <laughs> I think the results are excellent. The valuation, I suppose, is probably what you'd expect. It, you know, it's pretty expensive, but I think the fact that they're, like you say, they're increasing the direct sales so rapidly with such a strong brand can only be good for them, really. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, I agree they're good results and I agree it's quite pricey. I think it's, for me, it's difficult to value because you need to have a clear idea of where you think the direct consumer sales will get to and mm. what that's likely to do for the earnings. So for example, like if you think earnings can double over the next few years, then a PE of 43 might not be outrageous for such a high quality business. Mm. In, I think it's probably quite a tall order for earnings to double. And even then it'd still be a PE of 21, 22. So for me, I'm... I'm, I'm not sure about that PE, but I can't fault the quality of the business because it is just, it's one of those businesses, isn't it? Where it's just, you've got to admire it. It's like Coca-Cola yeah. and McDonald's. But... Yeah, of the sportswear world. Exactly, yeah. So I think, I thought the only other, and as well, the shareholder returns have been fantastic. Over five years, the share price has gone from $55 to $154 a share. Mm. And... It was as low as 17 cents a share in 1985, so. <laughs> Gosh. Done, what's that? I think we're talking about... So it would have been a 905 bagger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just shows it's, why uh, you should, uh, for the long term, doesn't it? Well, that's it, that's it, that's it. I don't know what the market's done since 1985, but I'm sure it's not going to be up 905x. Oh, no, no, absolutely not. But um, uh, whether you bought the whole market or Nike, you'd have done very well. Yeah, what do you... How do you think direct consumer impacts JD then? Because we looked at it from the JD side yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah, I think it's definitely much more worrying for JD because I think at the moment they, or I suppose over the last five years, they did have some exclusives. They had some sort of special deals with Nike and with some of the other um, sportswear brands. But it's a big threat because if Nike pulls some of their products, they've got such a strong brand. What are JD left with? Maybe Nike would put the best products on there and the ones they struggle to sell, they'd give to like JD. But mm. no, I, I agree. I don't, if, if I'm Nike, I'd be looking at that and thinking, well, we want to get that as high as possible or we want to squeeze out the wholesale customers. 
because if yeah. you can't if you can get it direct to the customer what is the wholesaler actually doing for you now yeah that's right that's right and certainly you're not going to be giving very good competitive well as competitive prices to well, yeah, the wholesaler you can, either you can squeeze them can't you because you just yeah. say that's fine just stick it on the website that's not a problem yeah yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think Nike holds the cards when it comes to sort of well, uh, is one of the players that holds the cards when it does come to JD's future. Um, yeah, but, JD, but then if you if you lose Nike, that's a massive problem. Yeah, and I don't know what Adidas are doing and some of the other sport big sportswear brands whether they're operating a similar strategy to Nike or not. I haven't looked at them, but uh, you could have a. Um, I don't know if it'd all be in German, but Adidas is listed in Germany, so there's no reason why we couldn't actually have a look at it on the show at some point. Yeah, it'd probably be a better way. It looks like their, their first half results come out in August, Adidas. Okay, so we'll, we'll possibly add that to the lineup. Do a comparison. Yeah, because that means the full, the full year results would be like four months old or something at this point. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd be surprised if Adidas doesn't have a similar direct consumer strategy because they are, I mean, I, well, it's a comparable, isn't it? It's Nike and Adidas. It's like Pepsi and Coke, isn't it, those two? It is, with probably nike being the coke i'd agree with that yeah <laughs> okay well on that note do we have any anything any other business sam no i guess it's just of the six companies we've talked about today so morrison's safe mm. store ds smith on the market barclay group and nike you have to buy one which one would it be hmm it's a little bit tricky actually i'd probably be narrowing it i mean Nike, I think, is very expensive, but yeah, it's probably the highest quality business by far of yeah. these companies. But if we were taking sort of valuation and everything else into account, I'd probably have to go for, probably go for Barclay Group, but Safe Store wouldn't be, would be a, a close second. I'd go for Safe Store, but yeah, I did, I did like Barclay Group. So. Yeah, they would both be up there. Um, no, yeah, yeah, there, there were quite a few. Well, there were quite a lot of good businesses this week. Yeah, yeah, I was no impressed. Impressed. Okay. Well, I think on that note, we'll end it there. And thank you again for listening. We'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW Tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.